Hi, and welcome to the Days Gone podcast. I'm Claire Weaver, a screenwriter, author, and Days Gone fan, and this podcast is a place to discuss the game in all its glory, share my opinions, both popular and unpopular, and listen to me fangirl over one of the best games ever made. There will be spoilers ahead, so continue at your own risk. Welcome to The Freak Show. I hope everyone had a happy holiday season. New Year is just a few days away, and it's that time of year when every website and social media platform seems to want to show you your year in review. I always prefer to look ahead at the year to come and enjoy daydreaming about all the wonderful things I might do and people I might meet in the next 12 months. Speaking of new people, I have a new guest on the show tonight. I've known him for a little while on the subreddit, and he's always on there providing insightful and thought-provoking comments alongside a good dose of dad humor. Welcome to the podcast, 626Aussie, also known as John. How are you doing? Hello, Claire. Thank you for having me on. I am doing great. Um, appreciate the positive words. Um, <laughs> um, and yes, the dad humor does come out. Um, I do try to help out what I can, uh, provide advice, um, knowledge of what I've got, um, experience playing games or just experience in life. Um, the Days Gone subreddit and the other ones that I frequent as well. So it's... Uh, it's wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you cheating on Days Gone? Uh, is it? Is it cheating? <laughs> Is that what we're going to call it now? Um, what are the subs you on? What other? What are some of your other favorite games? Um, I, I think, if anything, I'd be I'd be more cheating on my Marvel Puzzle Quest subreddit. Uh, uh, I don't even know what that is. What is uh, it? It's a mobile game like uh, the old Match Three Bejeweled games, uh-huh. featuring the Marvel superheroes and villains. Um, I've been playing it almost since launch, which was about eight years ago now. Um, oh, wait, was... so so Days Gone is your side chick? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess it is. Days Gone And that's all we have time chick. for on the podcast tonight. Thank you. Thank for... <laughs> you, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Um, yeah, no, I, I um, uh, my wife would play these games on the phone and I would join in because, you know, you've got to be social. You've got to send each other lives and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And she would get off the game and I would get it, then get on another game. She never played Marvel Puzzle Quest, but eventually she dropped all of her games. But I picked it up on the side and I've been playing it ever since. Um, there's just something satisfying about it that I, I enjoy collecting the, the characters and um, so it's it's definitely my my guilty guilty pleasure, um, and I don't know if Days Gone is the side chick or not. Um, <laughs> Kidding, <laughs> um, but it's it's Days Gone is probably probably the game that I have second most enjoyed. I think, um, mm. or at least currently, there's there's been some games, World of Warcraft. <clears throat> um, Occupied several years of my life um, in multiple expansions. Um, but yeah, Days Gone, uh, there was something about it. I, I saw the, the promo trailer that they released uh, where Deacon is chasing, is it Mad Dog, I think? Mm-hmm. Through the sawmill and they collapse through the roof and they aggro the horde. Um 
And it was a very different zombie game. I know they're not zombies, they're freaks. Um, but it was a very different... We didn't know anything about this game, but all of a sudden, the main character is running from this horde. Um, and it was like, wow. There were some things that didn't quite sit right with me at the time. Uh, and I've actually discussed this with, I think, Rex and a couple of others, in that I think it, it showcased what you can do with the game when you play it brilliantly. Uh, whoever was playing Deacon was always one stop ahead of the horde. Um, and it, it, I don't think it quite showcased just how threatening a horde of freaks is because the character was running and gunning and, and using the, the log mill traps and mm. um, they did a fantastic job kiting the sawmill horde around. Uh, but it, the way the freaks would die for Deacon and miss because he was just that one step ahead of them every time. And it looked, it looked like a lot of fun. It looked very interesting. Um, but then Red Dead Redemption 2 came out and I'm a sucker for a good cowboy game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd wanted to play Red Dead, the original one, but I didn't have a PlayStation at the time. Um, so when Red Dead 2 came out, I had a PlayStation. I played that uh, for a long time. And I did with Red Dead 2 what I did not do with Days Gone. I spoiled it for myself. Ah. And so I would play Red Dead 2 and I would get so far into the game and go, nope, I need to start over. Um, And I would start over um, and I would play and play Mm. some more and I would enjoy it. And then I would get to a certain point and then I would, no, I'm, I need to start over. I'm getting too far in. Why, um, why would you start over? Because I knew how it ended and I didn't want it to end. I didn't, oh. want, I didn't want it to get to what I knew was coming. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but I don't know. Is the statute of limitations out on spoilers for that? I, I, I know mean, have... I'm pretty sure you can discuss it. <laughs> I have not played it, but I think I know what you'll lead in towards. Um, yes. Characters, characters who I don't know. Uh, the context of, but they die, right? <laughs> they do, yes, yes. So, um, and one day I went too, too far um, and the, the gang ended up on Guarm or Guamer, I can't recall the exact name of the island. Um, and at that point I'm like, well, I just want to get back now. Um, I want to get through here and I just want to get back. Well, we got back and Arthur got to Saint-Denis, and then there's a certain cutscene. Mm-hmm. And when that cutscene played out, I realised I needed to finish the game at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I realised I'd passed the point of no return, and I played the game on, and it was in an incredible experience. Um, and when I was finished, I was a wreck. Um, it it hit me incredibly hard. Um, I lost my father in 2005. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, memories surface and something about the ending of Red Dead um, brought that back. Um, mm. I didn't play Red Dead or any game for like almost a week, a week and a half to two weeks. And there's an epilogue after the main story finishes 
And it's almost the equivalent of a full game in itself. That It could be released as like a downloadable content or, or even a, a $20 budget game, and you would be quite happy paying $20 to play the epilogue. Um, I would sit down at my PlayStation and go, no, nah, there's nothing I want to play. Um, it took me a while to get back in and, and play through the epilogue uh, and bring closure to the game. But when I was done... I was like, that's it. I, I never wanted to play the game again as much as I'd enjoyed it because it was just such an overwhelming emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Days Gone, I avoided spoiling it. And, well, there's the whole with Sarah, is she or isn't she? And I, I kind of hope that she was. And I mean, everyone will say, of course she's alive. She can't not be alive. Um, I didn't want to know. I wanted to. I wanted to find out. Yeah, I was the same. I mean, as a storyteller, like there are certain things that you know they're setting something up. You know that they're dropping this information. They're making this big deal out of his lost wife. But I didn't know. No, because yeah. that was the point. I like the narrative to lead me, yes. and that's the point. Is Deacon doesn't know. He Deacon. hopes, and I like to hope. Yeah. And he's raised up and then he's brought crashing down mm-hmm. and he's has hope again and then it comes crashing down again. Yeah. And then he, then he and meets you, with O'Brien and and it's just soul crushing. Yeah. Um, where no. No. He the tells camp's, him outright, like, no, was, the camp was overrun, there was were overrun. no survivors. Yeah. And I can watch that scene time and time again and have yeah. tears in my eyes. Yeah. Um, the voice acting, the the CGI and motion capture, you can, it's so easy to forget that you're looking at an animation, mm-hmm. that it's not real people there. And I mean, it is real people, they're just masked by the CGI. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Um, and then you get to the end and there's a couple of little scenes that come afterwards. But it's such a satisfying, happy ending um, that when you're finished, or at least in my case, you finish playing the game and it's like, I want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. And how many times have I played Days Gone? I know some people have kept count and continue to keep count. I'm somewhere north of 10, um, maybe 14 or 15. I can play through it and enjoy the story and start all over again. Um, the very first time I played it, I did not have the music on. I tend to tend to like to turn the music off and just enjoy the sounds of the game. Uh, so the first time I played through it, uh, the gang is riding back and there's the whole little um, mid-credits scenes mm-hmm. and it's all silent. Except for the bikes, the sound of the bikes. You've just got silence. And it was very peaceful. And so you've just had this chaos of the final scene and everything that came with it. And then there's the ride back to Lost Lake and it's it's peaceful and everything seems to have come together. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I, I watched a few of our mutual friends, Spornicus Rex's videos and a couple of the Horde videos, and he had the music on. And the horde music added so much tension and atmosphere to the encounter. I was like, wow. 
Um, and he said, yeah, dude, that's just the normal music. And I was like, huh, what have I missed out here? So I turned <laughs> the music on. Uh, it's a whole other experience. It was like, this is my second playthrough of the game. It was like experiencing the game for the first time again. I'm nodding so hard, so I had the same experience. I just, I didn't have headphones and I was playing oh. it with the sound really low my first playthrough oh. and then getting headphones and being able to crank it up for my second playthrough. I was like, oh my God, there's music in this game. There's, <laughs> there's sound effects in this game. I think there's an early episode of the podcast where I talk about how I just got them and I can, you can hear like the swish of the clothing when he's running and the, the fuel and the fuel can and things like that. And the little tinks of the dirt the, kicking up on the bike. The oh, casings, crazy. empty casings yeah. clattering around you when they're firing. Yeah, um, it's okay. incredible. And then, of course, you know, obviously that's just the sound effects, but the music is yes. so good. Yeah. So, so like Deacon taking Boozer to Lost Lake. Mm. it's just a quiet ride on the bike with them talking. And then you have the music in the second playthrough. Um, uh, when Deacon is riding into um, the Diamond Lake area, mm -hmm. it's, it's silence as he goes over the Tealson Pass. But then you have, what is it, Coming Home Soon or whatever the name of the song is. And it just, it was like playing the game for the first time all over again with the music. And then the end credits scene rolled with the post credits. And this time they're playing, um, what is it? Something the Black. I can remember it, but not remember it. Um, I, I forget. I don't the, know the name. The name of the song that plays during the credits. Um, and it's just such a moving song. And I finished the game and I was like, the credits rolled and the song finished playing. And I just started up another game all over mm -hmm. again. Um, and I've done that multiple times. I finished the game and it's like, I want that again. I want that experience again. Yeah. I, I liken it to watching a favorite movie. Um, I, I don't have any movies that I've watched that many times, but I'll watch scenes from some movies. Um, my wife hates it because I'll watch Captain America and Bucky beat the crap out of Iron Man because <laughs> I'm team Cap and she's team Iron Man, but we... <laughs> you make your differences work. Um, the death of Boromir in Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Um, she has a thing for Sean Bean. Um, it's and, and Sean Bean dies in just about every movie. I was going to say, Sean Bean, he, she's got to be used to that because he doesn't he die. Dies. I don't know if he survives any movie he's I, in. Yes. So, but it, it's a, such a brilliant poetic scene. Mm. Um and it actually, I know Rex is playing Ghost of Tsushima at the moment. The opening scene where Jin is crawling across the beach and he's already taken one arrow and he's like, mm. gets to his feet and takes another arrow and is yeah. still staggering. And it was like allusions to the death of Boromir and probably countless other heroes in time that have taken one arrow and kept going and then another arrow and then a third arrow. And then it's um, still reaching for the sword. As he's still got all these arrows reaching. sticking out of his back, he's still reaching for yes. it until he just can't yes. do it anymore. Yeah, and that's it. So um, it's it's you can watch these things. You can play Days Gone again and again. I know folks move on, but mm -hmm. for some of us, it just strikes a chord. There's something about it. There's something about it that appeals to some of us. I know some folks go, oh, the, the story, it's so cliché. 
Um, and that kind of irritates me a little bit. I'm like, okay, look at Red Dead 2. Isn't that really cliche? Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, but it's so well written in the characters. I'm like, well, isn't Arthur just Deacon but with a horse instead of a motorbike? Yeah. I mean, and- that's the thing. From a storyteller's point of view, that's the difference between a cliche and something that is so well done is the detail of character. Yeah. And the themes and emotions and the specificity that you bring to the world. And Days Gone, it does start out a little cliched. It does start out a little kind of on the nose, a little um, seemingly shallow. But very quickly you realize it's not. There's so much more going on. And all you have to do is just pay attention. And there, there's so much. I mean, I've dedicated an entire podcast to this <laughs> one game that you can complete in probably about 50 hours. You know, there's not that much. I mean, it's six hours of cutscenes. Yeah. But if I dedicated a podcast to just one season of a TV show or, or mini series, like I'd run out of episodes pretty fucking quickly <laughs> you know but there's something about days gone that just has such a richness to it there's a depth in there and it's very easy to overlook that if you're not looking if you just play the story mm-hmm. you 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 don't have to do all the side missions you don't have to find all the collectibles uh, do you really need to find every single plant in each region no, you don't. Um, I do still you... haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I mean, I picked, I think, about 90% of them just in in exploring. Um, I was and still am an explorer. Um, Bartol's, uh, Bartol is a programmer, and he, I don't know if he invented, but he certainly popular, popularized the four categories of MMO gamers, online gamers. Um, I think it's like the killers, the explorers, the achievers. I don't know what, maybe socializers. Um, And I was an explorer. Uh, In the world of Warcraft, before I'd even hit max level, uh, and well before I'd hit the the max level for the characters, which I think was like 40 at the time, I had mapped out both regions, both continents, even though it is certain death to venture into some of those regions mm-hmm. when you're not level 40. Um, I wanted to see what was out there. Um, I would wall jump in areas. I swam around the islands um, and I found areas that were part of the map but were not finished and were walled off. Oh. Um, but I was able to wall jump and get into these areas where there was just textureless terrain. Um, and it was like, wow, what is this? There's nothing here. This is bizarre. Um, I was an explorer. Uh, and so it was the same in, in Days Gone. Um, I would ride around and just explore. Oh, there's plants here. I'll pick the plants. What, are, what good are the plants for? Oh, I can turn them into the camp for credit. But uh, I think it took me a while before I realized that you used some of the plants to craft the cocktails. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm crafting the crafting cocktails. <laughs> it didn't occur to me that I was using plants or, or something for them until I didn't have plants. Um, you need berries to craft this the focus cocktail. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 
Um, so I would stop and pick pick flowers all over the place. So I picked about 90%, 95% of the flowers. Um, I think I was missing one or two in Iron Butte that I needed to complete the collection. You don't need to do that. It's just fluff. You don't need to find the tourist things. It's But you know what? If you're enjoying the game and you're set, you want to – it's based on Bend, Oregon. It's based on a real-world location. Which blew my mind when I found that out. I remember seeing a picture before I'd opened up the south part of the map. I saw a picture online of Crater Lake in, in the game, from in the game. And I was like, that looks really weird, like this weird cone-like island. Like that's, it just looks so fake. Yeah, and then I played, I played the game and I saw that bit and I was like, oh, cool. Okay. It's like a yeah cone-shaped island. That's really weird. And then I, I don't know how I found out, but I saw mention of it or I looked something up and I was like, holy shit, this place is real. Yes. Crater Lake is real. Wizard Island is real. Like it's a real fucking place. And then you go down the rabbit hole and you find out that Pretty much all of it is real. They're in different places. Things have been moved around and a few things have been renamed. And But even like the, the, the diners, the stores, you know, some of the, some of the locations like the buildings in the game are real places that they've taken from just down the street from Ben Studio and yes. recreate it with a couple differences so they're not, you know, just copying the actual real world. Um, just to tweak it just enough. Uh, but like the Bergamot in uh, near the um, uh, the Chimult Horde, the Bergamot okay. there, that's yes. a real place. I like think that you was one go, of the latest hide and deeks, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can go and find that in Oregon. I mean, all, lots of them are, are real places, but like, yeah. you, if you look it up on Twitter or whatever, you can find people who've gone there and they've taken photos and done side-by-side side -by -side comparisons. And it's, it's spot on. It's yes. incredible. Yeah. We were talking about cheating on Days Gone with subreddits. One of the subreddits that I follow is, is r slash earthporn. Um, and from time to time, Bend, Oregon, or the surrounding regions will pop up on there. Um, there was a picture. I don't think it was the waterfall that Deacon proposed to uh, Sarah at. But there was recently one of the waterfall posts, and it was Bend, Oregon. It was titled Bend, hmm. Oregon. Maybe it, maybe it was the waterfall. Um, but it's kind of neat. You're you're just browsing through your your front page on Reddit, and here's a bit post about Bend, Oregon that's not from the Days Gone <laughs> subreddit. Um, and it, it's yeah. it's not unlike Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, what is it? Horseshoe Bend, I think. Um, or maybe I'm mixing up my Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, but there's an actual horse, I think it's called Horseshoe Bend in Arizona or Nevada. Um, very highly photographed spot. And it's in Horizon Zero Dawn. There's a lot of locations in Horizon Zero Dawn that are based on real world locations. Mm -hmm. um, a, uh, uh, Fallout 4. Um, I was playing Fallout 4 a lot. And going through Boston Common and there's a mutant, super mutant, and he's a giant super mutant in Boston Common. Um, and so I learned to steer clear of that area because he's a, he's a pretty tough critter. <laughs> but then we're playing, or I'm playing the first Last of Us. You go through Boston Common 
Mm-hmm. And we went through Boston Common. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Swan's Pond. That's where Swan the Super Mutant is. Um, and you're and like, wait, went, did they copy this from the other game? And then they, you realize, they, oh no, wait, that's they a copied real place. It from real life, they copied yeah. it from the real place. So it's, yeah. Um, I mean, The Last of Us Part Two is all in Seattle. Yes, right? yes. And, and that is people were actually figuring out ahead of the game's release where it was set because it was so spot on real life Seattle. I, I One of the games I played, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, I like the Assassin's Creed games. Well, mm-hmm. I have Syndicate's a love-hate the relationship London, right? with them. Yes. Um, I was weirdly annoyed that the playable area stopped just a few blocks from the hotel I stayed at in London. <laughs> Um, but it was kind of neat getting to swing around and, and visit London um, City. I want to get back to sometime. Yeah. Beautiful yeah, I, city. I lived um, in London for six years, so playing Syndicate, I was very, very much literally at home. Oh, um, for sure. Although in that, it seemed like they moved everything a little closer. It didn't seem to take as long to get around. Yeah, but isn't that like London? It could be. I mean... Our, our first night there, where we went looking for this barbecue place that we that was just a block or so from our hotel, and we couldn't find it. And we'd walked past it about four times, and the reason we couldn't find it is because we were thinking in Los Angeles terms of distance. Right, yeah. It was right there, and we walked past it multiple times. And it's it also, like, people don't realize that the London Underground, the stations are actually really close together. So you think that you need to catch a tube when really it would be quicker and take you fewer steps to just walk above ground. Because if you use the underground, you've got to go down all the stairs, along the corridor, you know, around this corner, down onto the platform, get on the train, travel on the train a little bit, and then come, you know, back onto the platform, down a corridor, up these steps, across a little bit, up some more steps, up the escalator, back out onto the pavement. You would have already been there. If I just walk down the street. <laughs> I don't recall what the two stations are, but there's a, a YouTube of a fellow that gets mm-hmm. off the train at one station and he takes off running and you see him, he has a GoPro as well. Um, he almost hits the wall as he doesn't quite, well, he does get around the corner, but and then he's up the stairs and he catches the train at the next station. <laughs> um, That's incredible. And it's set like side by side. You see like him running and, and um, while his friend is sitting in the train and then the, the train is traveling and you see him running through the streets and flying down the stairs. Uh, and then the train doors open in his friend's video and he comes flying in the doors. Um, that is and everyone on the train is just cheering and clapping. Um, and apparently it's a, it's a challenge. Um, and a couple of, a couple of folks have done that. So um but yeah, it was. I'm sure with your intimate familiarity with London, even more so than than just mine. Um, I was hoping that we would have got to play the Tower of London a little more. Right. Um, that that annoyed me that we didn't get to go in there. Just the once for a for a right. mini mission, a side yes, mission, yeah. and then that's it. Um, and again, my my hotel was like a stone's throw from the Tower of London. So yeah. it's like it's there. I know it's there. It's just <laughs> let me go. <laughs> no, no, you're yeah. Ill, you're, you do not have access to this in this character's memories. Ah, so yeah. All right. So, well, we've we've spent a long time on our intro. We have um, digressed. <laughs> we have, but 
it's all good. I do want to get into today's topic, though. Um, <laughs> one of Days Gone's most iconic characters, the universally loved Iron Mike. He's a peace-loving leader, or he's the peace-loving leader of Lost Lake, but a man haunted by a dark secret. Yes. And I want to I want to get to that in a minute, but let's start. Let's break down who he is and spend a moment talking about his character, his values, and his worldview. Ozzy, how would you describe Iron Mike as a person? Simply summed up. Stern, but fair. Mm. Um, he, he's, he's like the father, I think, that we would all want to have. That you could go to with a problem and he would listen. And then he would maybe not necessarily tell you what to do, but might give you the guidance as to what he thinks you should do. And he's probably going to be right. Yes. <laughs> that is the perfect summation of Iron Mike. Like that's exactly how I see him and, and how I think he is in the game. But what's interesting is I don't think that's how he would describe himself. No. I think a lot of what we see in the game is a reaction to his history. And I, I do want to get into that in just yes. a second. But but yes. first, I want to kind of bring out a couple things that are mentioned in the game about the kind of guy that he is. Yeah. Deacon refers to him as um, a guy that you know where you stand with him. You know, he's like a very, uh, very much an open book. Yeah. He's smart and he's... Like you say, kind of stern. Yeah. A little no, bit, no bullshit. No bullshit. Tells yeah. it like it is. Yes. But yeah. he also, he does this thing that there's a couple scenes where he does this. I absolutely love where something's going on, whether it's um, the scene where, um, you know, you have like Schizo and Deacon and Boozer and Carlos, like all in the same room. The Ripper's got their guns drawn and Iron Mike's got his big fucking pistol drawn and, and, you know, he's he lets everyone else speak. You know, he asks Carlos, like, okay, so if I give you Deacon and Boozer, the biker boys, our treaty still stands. And he lets Carlos do, yes, you know, my word is my bond and all of that. And and earlier on in the game, I think when when Deacon first arrives and Schizo is like, oh, you said you this guy can't come back, he lets everyone speak. And then at the end, he delivers his judgment. And it's, it's like a fucking excellent way to let everyone have their say and also get the last word. Yeah. And it's like everyone listens to him because they realize that he's controlling the room. He is the kind of, he has like a commanding sort of presence. He's not trying to do it, but it's just in his calmness and his silence. His, his like, he's kind of understated, but it draws everyone in. Everyone's trying to constantly almost like prove themselves to him. Everyone wants him to side with with them yeah. in the way that you, they kind of look up to him. They, they want his support. They want his yeah. favor. Yeah, and he does. He does raise his voice from time to time, but it's it's not a screaming or yelling. It, it sort of goes back to what I said about how we see him as someone who is calm. But he's he's really kind of not like he has made mistakes and he's learning from them. 
but I don't think he spent most of his life being this kind of person. I think circumstances in the last couple of years have really changed him. Yes. And like I said, I don't think he would describe himself as someone who is who commands respect and who is fair and who knows how to control a room and knows how to give everyone their say and give everyone a fair shot to have their say. He's that kind of person now and he's that kind of person that people who've recently met him see him as. But should we should we jump ahead to Sherman's camp and get into the kind of yeah, person? Yeah, let's he was? go to that. And I think that um I think that's a, a good seek from what we were talking about with the collectibles too. It's not just the plants, it's not just the tourism things. There's there's snippets that you can find about the characters mm-hmm. if you search for them that yes. reveal more than just playing the story. If you play the story, you just get everything at face value. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes that Ben Studio have put a lot into this game. Um, the story is is not as cliche as what it appears. Yeah, let's let's go to Sherman's Camp. Okay, Sherman's Camp is the area on the map um, crawling with freaks. You you have a couple missions. You have to go get the Lister knife from there, um, and then that is where the the map is for the the dynamite that you're trying to find a little later on. Um, so you go there with Iron Mike. He takes you, and he's he sort of says to Deke like. I want to show you something. And you walk into this room where there's just a whole bunch of fucking bodies and quite gruesomely killed. It's not like they were just shot. Like there's one guy sitting in the doorway. It looks like he has a spiked baseball bat, like a broken off spiky end of a baseball yeah. bat stuck in the skull. Like it's pretty gnarly. You know, some bad shit went on in there. Yeah. And the dialogue that Iron Mike says that um, describes what happened is left a little ambiguous. He's, so he's referring to how there were people living in Sherman's camp and he was one of them. And they're referred to as crazy, desperate people. And he says, two weeks in, the ammo was gone. Two sides called a truce, a meeting right here. We knew what was coming. We knew what was what was coming and we were prepared. The fight didn't last long, but well, it was bad. They had ammunition left after all. And while they... Oh, hell, you can see what they did. Like I said, two people walked out of this town after all was said and done. And some days I wish to hell one of them wasn't me. So that, when you play it in the game, obviously it's implying that there were two sides that lived in Sherman's camp that wanted control of Sherman's camp. And they had a truce. They were both supposedly out of ammunition. Turns out they weren't. They fought. Everybody but two people died. Yeah. There were only two survivors, one of which was Iron Mike. So it's kind of interesting that the way that's presented in the game, it's like, oh, shit, okay, bad, there was a battle. Um, But you don't really get much more of a view. It's like, okay, so something happened, and Mike is like regretful of it but we don't really understand why you think that he was there defending the town they were attacked and you think that that lends to his character as to why he why he's so desperate to avoid a war with the rivers Mm -hmm. but there's more to it than that yeah and I, i think it's been discussed previously on one of your podcasts already but 
Yeah, I, I have gone into it before and I'm actually just, <laughs> I should have got my art book out a little ahead of time. I'm trying to find the right page. And I, and I think part of his speech is, it's not necessarily ambiguous, but, oh, we knew what was coming. We knew what was coming and we were prepared. So it was coming. We were mm. here and it was coming. And so you think that I and Mike and the good folk of Sherman's camp are there and the other side is coming in. And then there's the fight. And the folks who were attacking had ammunition left after all. But that's, that's not what happened. No. What we learn in the art book, there's a casting sheet which gives you a little bit of backstory about Iron Mike. And it says, Men like Schizo call Mike a pacifist because he refuses to go to war with the Rippers, but they don't know that Iron Mike is tormented by a secret from his past. One night, as the world was ending, Mike took part in a massacre of a small town. Riddled with guilt, he now repudiates violence of any kind, risking the lives of those he is supposed to protect. Which I just think is interesting. It's two, two interesting things. So first of all, men like Schizo call him a pacifist, but he's, he's not because he was the aggressor yeah. in this attack. He was on the side attacking the camp. If I recall correctly, he was a park ranger prior to that? Yeah, he worked for the um, forestry service uh, managing the Cascade, the Cascade Wilderness. Yeah. And um, yeah, and he, it's actually said again in the art book, it gives a little tidbit um, that he did that for decades and knows the Cascades better than anyone. Which yeah. I find it interesting that he's not then lost, like the, the, the camp is not in the Cascades uh, part of the map. Like you'd think it would be there if that's what he knows, but he's at Lost Lake. He's trying to redeem himself. Yeah. yeah. And he's also, I think, I think he's ashamed and trying not to face his past. He tells Deacon just enough of like, hey, bad shit happened here. I don't like it. And I, for some reason, I'm not going to spell out the treaty with the Rippers is important to me. But that's as much as he can say, because I think he is kind of shying away from it. He doesn't want to admit it because he's sort of becoming this new person and and everyone is seeing him as this new person. It kind of, when someone sees you a certain way, it's really hard to tell them, wait, stop, you've got it wrong. I'm not that person and actually have them hear you and have them understand the depth of, of not only what you're saying, but why it's important to you that you are saying it. Especially if they are seeing a better side of you than what you think for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because you, I mean, none of us want to be seen as the bad guy. So if people are seeing you as a better version of what you know you are, and also you're in a position of power, and you're trying to do something really good, like he's trying to rebuild the world. He's trying to rebuild civilization. He has a really honorable fucking goal. Yes. He, he wants has... to get back to law and respect and justice. And he... and suddenly he's going to like say, oh, no, wait, hang on a minute. I'm an asshole. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. But he, but it, More so it than him. Copeland and Tucker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he's, he's trying to see beyond. 
like Boozer says, surviving ain't living. He wants them to do more than just survive. He wants them yeah. to live and yeah. to rebuild. Is it noble, futile aspiration? I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think they can continue living like they are. I think they need to expand and they need to take back the darkness, take back the wilderness. Um, yeah, and I think that's just human psychology. You can only survive for so long. You have to live. You have to have something to live for. You cannot just be in a state of survival your entire life. Because otherwise, what's the fucking point? We're all going to die anyway. So why not today? If there's nothing to live for, if it's just surviving, why, why the fuck not? You need to live. Yeah. And for that, you need something to live for. Mm-hmm. We got deep. This is really... <laughs> <laughs> and a philosophy that I didn't really embrace until somewhat recently. Um, it's about chasing happiness. You spend your life chasing happiness. But if you spend your life chasing happiness, you're never going to catch it because you're always chasing it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to learn how to be happy with where you are. Doesn't mean that you can't aspire to improve and have goals and something that you're working towards, but you need to learn how to be happy with where you are. Otherwise, when you finally do catch happiness, you're still not going to be happy because you haven't learned how to be happy. You're going to continue finding the next goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's about like recognizing, recognizing the things that you have and appreciating them and not just being in a constant state of one day in the future I will be. Better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I struggle with that as a as a screenwriter. You know, it's just this perpetual state of the next project will be the more successful one. The next one will, you know, be a, a career starter or a career progressor, or will turn out differently, or will, you know, whatever whatever it is. It's it's this constant churning turning wheel of new projects, new ideas, better opportunities. And it is really hard sometimes because as a screenwriter, like I never see a, most of my work never comes to fruition yeah. because you write stuff and I might sell it and get money from it, but it never gets made Yes, or it doesn't get made in the way I kind of wanted it to. Cause it's like filtered through so many other people. It doesn't even feel like mine anymore. You know, there's so many barriers to feeling like your air quotes successful. And it's like, well, how do you, how do you define success? And when do you stop to actually think about that? And like you say, with happiness, it's like, how do you define it? And also, how do you stop yourself from assuming that you don't have it already? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that has to come from within you. And I think everyone has to, everyone has to find it themselves. Um, you, can't, you can't teach someone how to be happy. You have to learn that yourself. Do you think that's maybe how you could say that Iron Mike's story is one of failure. I don't know if I'm getting too far ahead, but I was thinking about on his deathbed, he tells Deacon, 
I was wrong. He says, you do what you have to do to keep this camp safe. So he sort of recognizes that he went too far and he got a lot of people killed. He did. He got yes. a lot of people killed. Yes. So he really, you know, in his grandiose idealistic view, you know, in his plan. He fucked up. He fucked up. And he yes. was wrong and he sacrificed his own life for that. He dies. But also so many other people died. Yes. Quite brutally. Um, so you could say that his redemption redemption of going from Sherman's camp to trying to rebuild the world with you know in an idealistic way, trying to make amends, it was unsuccessful. It was perhaps even unnecessary. Because if he had stayed the man he was when he led the aggression in Sherman's camp, fewer people in Lost Lake would have died. But what kind of a camp would it have been then, though? Well, that's the thing. Would Lost Lake even exist if he yes. hadn't taken a more idealistic view? Because everyone, I think, agrees that Lost Lake would be the best camp to live in. Yes. And that's because of his idealistic views and because of the sort of vibe of like, it's a society. It's, yeah. it, it's the, you know, you have the little guy in the gazebo playing guitar. Yeah. And people chatting about what they used to do before the collapse and things like that. And, and okay, so you've got the schizo thing, but like... It feels, if you take Schizo out, it feels more like the kind of place you want to live versus Tucker and Copeland, where you're trying to survive, or the militia, where you're trying to take back, like aggressively command the world. Yeah. Which or is a fight in and of itself. O'Leary Mountain, where there's nothing there at all. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of ironic that it's a lookout tower and it's like you're alone looking out at the rest of the world. Yes, very much so. And yeah. there is no kind of world in that little pocket. Yeah. You know, you're just watching everyone else live their lives. So Lost Lake, you know, would be the great place to live, but it it is because of Iron Mike's views. And if he hadn't done if he hadn't started a redemption arc he wouldn't have those views and you wouldn't have lost lake but fewer people would have died so that could be the question of, of how successful or necessary was his arc and there, there is one other camp iron butte camp ah yes <laughs> where we go to forget yeah which for some would be preferable to any of the other camps yeah i mean there's a lot of rippers Yes. There are a lot of people in this world who want to forget. They want to forget what they've lost. They want to forget who they've lost. They want to forget what they were. And they just want to be like the freaks. Yeah. And Days Gone doesn't, doesn't have the monopoly on that either. The, um, the Walking Dead has its group like that. Um, I think they're called the Whisperers. I stopped watching somewhere around season six or something like that. Um, the group that travels with... They're, they're freaks, they're zombies. Um, I don't necessarily think that they want to be the freaks, though, or the zombies, but they definitely travel with them and use them as camouflage of sorts. Mm. Um, sort of a strategic move, yes. strategic advantage. Yeah. Uh, Josh on the podcast last week mentioned uh, Quislings, from World War Z, which are people yes. who've had almost like a mental break. They're unable to deal with the new world and with the terror of the collapse. And they 
become like the zombies. They do. They would behave, which they didn't have them in the in the movie, but they have them in the book. If you ever get mm-hmm. a chance to read the book, and yes, they act like the zombies. Um, they moan and shamble around, um, and not unlike the Rippers, they get attacked by the freaks or the zombies, and they don't fight back. They just allow themselves to be killed when they get attacked. So it's, um, here, it's not necessarily that the, the monopoly that Days Gone has on that. It's, you're right. We even have that in, in this world that folks that, that would like to forget everything that's gone on. Yeah. How do you find happiness with what you have if you don't think that you have what you need? That's all we've got time for for this episode. Tune in next week for part two of my conversation with 626 Aussie, where we talk about the treaty with the Rippers and why Iron Mike put Schizo in a position of power. Just a reminder, you can support the Days Gone podcast by leaving a review on Spotify or whatever podcast app you use. That really helps the algorithm do its thing so more people can find the show. If you have friends who play Days Gone, please let them know about the podcast and perhaps give us a share on social media. You can also show your support by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash daysgonepod, where you can throw a little money in the tip jar if you're feeling generous. That really helps me with the overhead costs of running the show. And of course, every Tuesday night, you can find me on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel for a collaborative livestream playthrough of Days Gone. He goes into the gameplay tactics and strategy... I discuss the story and characters and all the amazing details of the game. You can watch live on the Spornicus Rex YouTube channel every Tuesday at 6pm Pacific. And if you can't tune in live, the streams are still available to watch afterwards. I want to say a big thank you to BOP, who bought me 10 coffees this week. You sure are someone who knows that it's better to light a napalm molotov than curse the darkness. See you next week. You can email me your thoughts, comments, opinions, and counter-arguments at daysgonepod at gmail.com. You can also find me moderating the Days Gone subreddit. Thanks for listening. Weaver out. <laughs>